Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Derek Johnson, National Practice Director for Cyber Operations within AT&T Cybersecurity Consulting. Welcome to the show, Derek, and it's great to chat with you again. Yeah, it's great to, great to chat with you too. Yes, it was, it was wonderful to at least be able to attend your session and, and talk a little bit um, about you know, what you're doing at AT&T. But to kick us off, can you also tell that to our audience um, about your journey and, and what do you do there? Sure. Yeah, I've been uh, in cybersecurity for about 24 years now. Um, I've most of that has been within consulting in one <laughs> one fashion or another. Um, but I've been with uh, AT&T for about 18 years. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my, my journey kind of grows out of IT. Um, doing, you know, PC support, system admin, network engineering type of, of work all the way up to um, uh, or and then graduating into cybersecurity um, around you know 24 years ago, um, and I've been there ever since. I really love it. I, I think uh, I and like I said, most of my career has been in the consulting space, um, but I've also worked as a CISO style role um, for a call center business, um, like a B two B call center business, and. Um, you know, I did that for a couple of years, so I kind of run the whole spectrum, not just focusing on on network engineering, but I understand full enterprise wide security and everything. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I how I got into security. And so what I do in um, AT&T cybersecurity consulting is um, I lead a team of people specializing in what's known as cyber operations. Um, it's basically a uh, a practice or um, a team of people that uh, deliver work on a large array of different style of services, uh, ranging from network and cloud security to cybersecurity operations center consulting. Uh, we do transformation services, so we help customers, you know, transform their cybersecurity programs and overall technologies involved with those programs, like firewalls and things like that. Um, do mobility, IoT, and endpoint security, as well as uh, vulnerability and threat management. So listening to you, Derek, talking about your journey and, and, and all of that, bring me back to my old telco days. So talking about almost 28 years ago now, uh -huh. I'm dating myself. But um, I, I remember because we we um, we used to run a software company and provide services for the large tier one telco looking at fraud. Um, so starting in the DCR uh, CDRs, looking at um, the patterns of transaction records and finding out um, who the fosters. That was wow. That was a long time ago. So <laughs> flashbacks. Um, now in one of your recent presentations, the one that I was in. You used a really interesting analogy, um, the inauguration of the right. Obama administration as part of the zero trust implementation. It was fascinating because I think one of the challenges whenever we do presentations like that in front of folks is it's hard to gauge where everyone came from. Some might be really technical in what you say. You don't have to explain. They get it. And some of them might be from a different background through which and, and I saw you, you used a, a very unique and powerful telling storytelling technique to bring people in so that they can actually take something they see in real life and to understand what you're trying to convey. 
Now that I've built that up, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the example you used and and what is zero trust? Let's go back to that. Yeah, sure. So that's that's exactly what I was doing was communicating what zero trust is in that example. And it was actually an example that um, John Kindervog, who you know developed Zero Trust, um, he is uh, known as the father of Zero Trust, however you want to label him. But uh, he's the one who you know really used this example, and I was kind of kind of uh, just you know rehashing it to the audience that I was uh, presenting to, because it's a great analogy. Um, he he puts up a, a picture of um, you know just a screenshot or some picture of the uh, presidential inauguration parade during um, President Obama's inauguration. And, um, you know, you see a picture of, of the beast, the presidential limo, and the president is inside the limo with his family. And you can see um, Secret Service agents surrounding that vehicle. Now, he uses that as a an example of um, the fact that Secret Service has defined what they're trying to protect. And that's the number one step, really, in, 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 in any type of zero trust journey is first identifying what it is that you're trying to protect so that you can put those protections around it. Um, I like to call it data bodyguards. You know, it's a very similar analogy to the Secret Service um, protecting the president. And so, you know, but in that same picture, you also see other Secret Service agents in various different areas in the picture, as well as um, as well as the D.C. police. Now, the D.C. police are not necessarily focused on the president. They're focused on the crowd watching the president. So they're just standing there kind of looking, um, you know, just standing there with their hands in their pockets and um, just kind of looking at the crowd so that if anybody jumps the fence or whatever, they are kind of the first line, that first line of defense. And um, and that's kind of the analogy I like to to give for a zero trust environment uh, because of the fact that it's all about uh, protecting what it is that means the most to you um, and, and kind of surrounding that with a um, like a micro perimeter or a layer seven type style defense like that. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of where I start uh, a description of zero trust. And I just kind of expand from there into more of how does you how do you implement that and how does it look from an enterprise wide, um, you know, rollout perspective, all that type of stuff. As one can imagine um, in the industry that we are in financial services, it's attractive to scammers and fraudsters because they go where the money is. So exactly right. Financial institutions is often the prime target, if you will. Now, looking back in the last three years with the shift to remote work and hybrid mm -hmm. work, and all of that happened almost overnight, along with digital transformation activities, which you touched a little bit on in the beginning, all of that is happening. What are some of the things that are top of mind as you walk financial institutions through how do they even navigate and adjust to all of the changes that's happening at lightning speed right um and you know and that's that's kind of what i like to always you know um ask our, our financial institution customers is you know really what's top of mind what keeps you up at night uh, more often than not even 
outside of the financial world, but across verticals and segments and everything, we hear the same responses. And that's, you know, things like ransomware, right? That's obviously top of mind because when, especially in a financial institution, right? You, you think about um, not being able to get to not only your computer, but also the data on it um, because it's encrypted or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, that's going to be that's going to have a lasting effect on a financial institution as the seconds tick on, not so much the minutes or the hours or the days. Right. And so, um, you know, ransomware, of course, is a very um, is a very focal uh, concern with financial institutions. And so that's where a lot of these institutions are looking for this next generation style architecture and security implementation through things like SASE and Zero Trust is it because of the fact that it, it affords a lot of the more advanced security view into the data and protecting that data and everything. And so that brings me to sort of like the third top of mind thing um, that supports that, which is really identity management. Uh, that's going to be a uh, up and coming if, if it's not already. Um, you know, focal point as people start to implement these advanced architectures like SASE and Zero Trust, and they start to implement them as they are intended to be implemented. You're going to be leveraging a lot of identity and that sort of layer seven um, view into, into the network traffic. Yeah, identity is, is one that is super interesting because we talk a lot about without identity inclusion, there is no financial inclusion. So first off is you need to know who you are, you need to establish and prove who you are, and thereby leads to everything else. But, you know, especially in, in modern days, I hate to use that word, <laughs> but looking at conflicts, right, looking at refugees, looking at... Um, you know, people that who, who, who have to leave their homes and then moving to a new country. And I, and I know this because my family went through that. And it's, it's hard to actually reestablish yourself and get everything else back up and running. So identity, I, I, I do foresee, and you're right, um, is going to be one of the most crucial things. Let's not even talk about metaverse and what that means, because I think that's a whole different kind of worm um, right there. But um, looking at, you know, New Year, um, I like New Year. Yeah. Don't ask me what I made my uh, New Year resolutions for last year because I don't think I remember it. But um, what would you like to offer our audience? Um, top predictions by Derek on cybersecurity plans. What are some of the biggest threats that we should be on the lookout for? And on the flip side, what are some of the opportunities um, we would love to see? Yeah, so, you know, trends, of course, I, I talked about identity, and I think that's going to tie into um, uh, more like role-based access, right? So once identity is understood in an environment, um, it's going to, you're going to get access to the data, but that data is going to be, your access to that data is going to be based on the role of your job. And so that's going to kind of go hand in hand there. Um, I think another trend that we're seeing and, and it's going to be increasing even into next year is is sort of a push to this these um, subscription based services or, you know, what are known as cyber as a service and, and things like that. And, and so that's where 
Um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing for years has been advising organizations, especially organizations that are smaller, you know, mid-sized organizations, not necessarily the large enterprise like the the Bank of America size size type tech company, but more of like a regional bank or something like that. Um, you know, I advise them to think about offloading a lot of more tactical um, cybersecurity initiatives like pen testing and um, patching and um, things like that, uh, vulnerability scanning and log monitoring. These are tactical um, things that really take a lot of time out of people's busy days. And so uh, if they could offload that to more of a subscription-based service and get the results from that, um, maybe even have the subscription-based service act on those results even um, that's going to free people up to more, you know, think more strategically about their cybersecurity program and be able to work on other elements of that program that aren't as technical things like, you know, user awareness, you know, uh, cybersecurity awareness and, and, um, and things like that as well, which brings you to the, the threat of, as I said before, ransomware. Um, you know, there's a lot of push to the cloud as well. Um, and so, there's going to be and and cloud in general from the software as a service style cloud environment to you know the infrastructure as a service um these all of these environments you know are making use of your data and your data is either being stored in those applications or in those infrastructures and they need to be secured uh but the the hackers are targeting those environments. I don't know um, if you if you saw during my presentation, one of the things I talked about was connections um, that the hackers are looking at. So, you know, they're looking at the fact that you're leveraging things like 5G, possibly, and that you're leveraging things like cloud. Um, and you have all of these different connections to all different type of third parties and, and things like that as well. And they're go they're eyeing those up and they're seeing that as an avenue to, you know, possibly exploit and get access to your data. So um, and then another threat is um, which we're starting to see more of is multi-factor authentication compromises. Right. So, you know, two factor authentication, multi-factor authentication has been um, a really good and useful tool. You know, you, you try to log in and you get a code or an SMS text or something like that to type in a code. Um, you know, we've seen some breaches now that have compromised that. And, you know, you want to think about implementing more, um, you know, kind of phishing resistant style multi-factor authentication. Um, and, and, you know, to better that, uh, to, to more, to, I should say, protect, um, that type of, a, of an avenue there. So then that brings to the opportunities, um, you know, in again, SASE, zero trust, these advanced architectures that are going to leverage a lot of that layer seven style view into the network um, to better protect that data. But it's going to involve a lot of, um, you know, board of director, executive level support um, in order to implement such big programs like that, um, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of where we see a lot more opportunities to help our customers. I like a lot of the points that, that you just brought up. I it's just writing notes because um, <laughs> a lot of things resonate with me. One of the things I do hear a lot about people talk about, um, and I've seen and experienced it, they often say people are the weakest links 
when it comes to cybersecurity. I still see people writing the passwords no. on a sticky note next to the computer. Yep. Or the infamous, what is one of the most popular passwords? Admin123. Or password. <laughs> oh, or password. <laughs> do, do you think we'll actually get to the point where we can get people to make smarter choices or humans are forever going to be the weakest link? Yeah, and I think that that's always the case. Um, you know, we we're human; we make mistakes. Um, and you know, I think from a from an average user, they're trying to do what they can do to get their own job done as fast as possible and as easy as possible. And if that means writing their password down on a sticky note or something like that and pasting it on their monitor, I know they're going to do it. Um, it. And it's that's really where a lot of good um, cybersecurity awareness training and, and things like that come into come into play. So, um, you know, letting but you have to think about it's not just telling them don't do it. You have to tell them why they shouldn't do it and why it's bad. Um, you know, the, the thought process, well, that can never happen to me. Um, you know, nobody's going to look over my shoulder and make use of my password or anything like that. Uh, you have to get them past that sort of mindset and under, ha help them understand, well, what happens if somebody does and then they're able to get to the data that you're able to access uh, and how detrimental to the to the business that can be. Um, I think once they start to realize that, then they start to realize that they could they have a hand in protecting the business just as much as cybersecurity department does. Um, and that's one of the things that within AT&T um, we've done, um, you know, our CSO organization for as long as I've been with the organization has had a campaign um, that the users uh, on the network, the user is the firewall. They, it was the slogan that we used was you are the firewall. And that's that's pretty telling when you look at it in that light. Um, people, most people, even if they're not technical, they understand what a firewall is. They hear about it in movies and, and things like that. And so um, they understand what that is and what it can do. They might not understand how it works, but uh, they know what the prop, the, the, um, the purpose of a device like that is. And so when you relate that to them uh, and they realize, oh, I, I have a hand in this, I can filter out bad things. I could not click on that link and or I could forward that email on to somebody else to, you know, confirm that it's OK. You know, those things are um, when it when it hits home like that, they realize that they could help out in this whole thing and help better protect the business. So. You are the first defense. I've <laughs> seen and heard that. Um, and yet, I think the last time I saw someone writing their password and sticking it was in a fraud department. <laughs> <laughs> the irony, the irony of that. Um, before we close, I wanted to ask you, because that's something I see, I see quite a bit, especially in the startup space where um, founders are under pressure to get their business up and running and they start to cut corners and they, you know, say, well, we'll patch it later. We'll worry about it later. Um, we'll rebuild it later. We all know what happens after. Right. Uh, so what is the one takeaway um, for our fintech founders who are listening? Um, what is the one thing you would advise them to do? 
Um, I would again look at what's most important to your business. Uh, you know, whether it's a device, whether it's data, um, you know, and start to think about what happens to your business if certain parts of your data, if not all of that data, is disclosed out on the internet. You know, the last thing you want is, especially for a small business or somebody who's just starting up, um, you, the last thing you want is for, you know, your, your data to get out on the internet and suddenly your secret sauce or whatever it is that, you know, you're, you're doing as a business is no longer valid, right? In which case now you just, you know, turn around and, um, start over somewhere else or something like that. And so, you know, looking at how you protect that data the most is, is, is critical and what, you know, where are those protections going to be? Uh, are they going to be centralized in the data center or are you going to move them as close to where that data is as possible, be it in the cloud, um, on somebody's laptop, on somebody's mobile phone, wherever that is? Putting the protections as close to that data as possible is really going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Um, and, you know, I, I think also working with your executive teams, uh, working with um, overall you know, boards of directors, if you are a public organization, whatever that may be, um, if you can secure their buy-in for any initiatives that you want to work on, that's going to help you obviously in the long run because they're going to support you through those large end journeys like that. But it's it's it takes a lot of effort to communicate the benefits of that because, you know, they are focused on the bottom line. And so, you know, you have to almost think in terms of, well, what if that bottom line wasn't even there? Or what happens if everybody else knows what that bottom line is, right? So um, those are things that, you know, you want to communicate to those boards and those ex executive teams. And then you're going to get their support. I've seen organizations have full support from their boards and executive teams. And it is, it's like a beautiful world to live in in their, in their organization because, they can get things done from a cybersecurity perspective and better protect their business. So, um, and, and then looking at things like user awareness, um, as you start to bring users on board, um, it don't just have them sign a document and be done with it. You know, routine, uh, training, annual training overall is going to really help your cybersecurity program in the long run. You mean we can't just sit there and watch a video for 15 minutes <laughs> and check the box? I submitted it. Um, That's right. <laughs> I've seen organizations that actively create things like phishing email and send them to employees and see if they click it. And yep. that is brilliant because it's one thing sitting in front of the screen, taking an online test and said, I, I did it. And it's another to actually put it in the real world and see if they actually act. Um, yep the way that you want them to. So yeah, we brilliant. worked, we worked with a financial institution in New York city, um, doing things like social engineering, basically testing their, um, cybersecurity awareness among their users. And we would then, uh, the customer then would have us follow up that exercise with a training exercise with the affected users, um, to educate them on what they did wrong and why it was bad for the business. Um, and they hired us year over year. And as we 
with every year that went on, we found out that it was harder and harder to get into this organization. I mean, we were doing some extremely crafty things like trying to duplicate the HID codes on their badges and things like that because phone calls, emails, text messages, all of, you know, voicemails, all of these things just did not work because the user community was onto us. Um, and it wasn't like a scheduled thing where, it, you know, we came at a certain point during the year. We varied it through the year um, at different times with different people. It's just that their cyber, their security awareness strengthened so much throughout those that, that journey that uh, it was just very difficult to get into this organization. See, and that's exactly what we would love to hear, isn't it? You get to the point where you feel like, wow, mission accomplished. Right. Um, and that is great. It's, it's kudos to you and the team. Um, and so if our listeners would like to find out a little bit more about what you guys do and what is AT&T Cybersecurity Consulting, where can they go? Uh, well, we, they can go to our website, cybersecurity.att.com, um, and they could see everything that we offer from consulting to managed services and, and everything like that. Um, and then, of course, if they are existing AT&T customers, they already have direct lines into their account teams, um, and they can go right to their account team to get more information on uh, cybersecurity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Derek. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.